0: It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick, friendly reminder. If you think you might stop by the library, don't forget your library card.
1: Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and kj great to have you back as always additionally joining us as a guest for this episode is doug doug is a longtime friend of ours going back to elementary school you may remember doug from our first episode raiders of the lost ark as well as solaris and american graffiti it's great to have doug back once again as we experiment with some short films after triple checking we verify that doug still conveniently likes movies For those joining us for the first time, we start each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. Then once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Today we will have three quizzers, one for each of the short films. The co-host in the quizzer seat will receive points from one of the other co host questions. For a better understanding of this convoluted point system, check out our Back to the Future episodes. KJ, tell us about today's short films.
0: Today, instead of discussing one feature-length film, we're gonna jump into three short films. The first short film we will be discussing is George Lucas's student-made film, Electronic Labyrinth THX 1138-4EB. This short takes place in a dystopian future and follows a refugee on the run who is trying to escape a monotonous society. We will also be discussing the Quay Brothers animated short film, Street of Crocodiles, where we get an inside look into a mechanical machine box. And finally, we'll be wrapping up with Juanjo Guminez Piña's short film, Time Code, where we watch two security guards monitor cameras and leave recordings of dance for each other. Short films can be really great because they allow directors to explore ideas that may not support a feature-length film, but are still a great idea to express on film. Each of us will have questions for one of the short films. Let's start with THX 1138. Hey, Tom, if you had one word to describe these short films, what would it be? Stubby. How about you, Nick? Pithy, Doug? Stumpy. And my word would be iota. It's time for question one. Okay,
1: I'm going to start things off with the questions for Electronic Labyrinth THX-1138 EB. What was the name of THX-1138's mate? The closest to the answer... We'll get the points
2: locked in. Locked in.
1: Okay. I guess I'll locked in. Okay. I'm going to start off with Doug with his confidence.
3: All right. I think it's something like YYO7117. KJ, you're up next.
0: Uh, I have 7337, but now I'm getting confused with the Rush album. All right. 7337.
1: Tom.
2: I also had YYO-7117.
0: The
1: answer and the points go to Doug and Tom, YYO-7117.
0: It's time for question two.
1: What do the authorities tell YYO-7117 is the fate of THX-1138?
3: Locked
0: in. Locked in.
3: Locked in. I'm going to start again with Doug. Okay. Uh, They told her that THX 1138 destroyed himself.
2: I had self terminated. I also had he destroyed himself.
1: Everyone is getting the points on this one. Uh, The actual phrase was THX 1138 destroyed themselves at 45239. Based on our convoluted point system, Tom is presently in the lead with four points. KJ has one and Doug has two. The reason I brought this film to the mix today was years ago, I watched a movie called THX 1138. And for some reason, I thought this is what I had seen. Being a a George Lucas fan from Star Wars, and it seems I have a lot of call-outs to George Lucas in this season so far, also looking into American Graffiti, I thought this one would be interesting to examine. And I am glad that I still did pick this for us to talk about today, but it wasn't necessarily what I thought it was going to be. What were your initial thoughts on this short?
2: Well... I think this speaks to a sort of guiding question that KJ presented to us for for these three films, which is, what does a short film do that a feature can't? Right? What, what does it do differently? And it, it's a really hard question to to answer because, you know, I, I think the the presupposition is that a short film isn't just shorter. Right? There is something else important about the nature of the medium, and I think that this film is a, is a good place to introduce this question um, because it, it sort of posed the, the length of it and the design of it is, is posed somewhere between montage and you know and, and a, a, a longer film or, or a short film so montage would just be a collection of things cut together think of like Eisenstein or something like that and then there's you know uh, something like time code right which isn't composed of montage um, at least not Uh, not directing attention to montage in the way this film does. And so I I think with with this movie, the way it's put together, it has very little dialogue. It's mostly hard to understand what people are saying. Things are cut together to tell a a story um, as opposed to any kind of getting, getting any kind of dialogue or anything like that. And I think what this film does is it takes the idea of montage, which would be a a set in an important scene, a way of designing an important scene in, in a longer feature and making a short film out of that sort of expanding the montage to tell a story through a bunch of kind of jarring cuts and jarring sound edits as well in order to communicate this. So I think that that this film is, is really interesting compared to the other two we're looking at because that's that's kind of my reading of how it is designed. It's it's extended montage.
0: The other thing that um, THX1138 does that I don't think would work in a feature-length film is all the audio and all the video has a layer of noise on top of it. One way or another. It is either distorted or overexposed underexposed Uh, it has the scan lines on there and he's recording a television or something and then all the noise has that that sound like it's coming through a radio or or something and i don't think if if I, i don't know that we can handle an hour and a half of that distortion i think that would be kind of brutal so i think that's another thing this short is able to do that a feature would not be able to do
1: I had a challenge dealing with the distortion within the limited timeframe of this movie when it came to the audio components of voice. That was a challenge for me. What was interesting and i don't know if you guys felt this way too but in the beginning there was almost this constant reverberation it actually made me think back to our Eraserhead episode where there's this constant tone going on they they departed from it a bit or moved into different tones as the as tom put it montage continued but that was something this was more about the audio component and not necessarily verbal which was minimal really and and almost indistinguishable like you couldn't hear exactly what they were saying it was all mumbled just like kj was saying so it was interesting in that regard jumping into what actually was portrayed in the movie i thought this society was unique in the sense that it seemed they have a very specific structure but when it comes down to it this person, THX 1138, wanted to escape this way of living. And aside from running down a bunch of hallways and whatnot, no one physically changed him. It seems like the this, this society itself, its restrictions hold you back. But if you truly have the will, you can break through. I, I thought that was really fascinating how they portrayed the rules and all of the barriers within this
0: society. Yeah, they were really good at monitoring where he was but they didn't seem to be able to do anything about it.
2: I think one of the other benefits of the, the shortness of this film is that it can sustain a single tone that a, a feature would not be able to do. I mean, if you attempt to s- sustain a single tone, a single sense of emergency, right, all hands on deck, that that fails after 15, 20 minutes, right? I mean, you know, like Lord of the Rings battles are about as long as emergency can last before we have to to intercut it with something else. And that, that kind of sense of emergency is permissible throughout the, the film because of, of its length. It's only 15 minutes, I think, 15 and a half minutes or something like that. Um, but it also, by only give, giving us this world through the sense of emergency, it gives us the characteristic of this world. This is a world on alert. And we get a sense of the, you know, what you might think of as the the kind of political, social dimensions of this world, even though we don't know where it comes from or how it governs. There's an indication that this, this is the year like 2368, I think is what it says on, on the bottom of the screen. We, so we get a, a, a year, but we don't really know anything else about this world except through the tone. And that's one of the conveniences of the, the compacted time frame.
1: It was the 25th century. So maybe it was 24 or something, but still like, yeah. Sure, 24. <laughs> and it was a 15 minutes uh, runtime.
3: Uh, so one interesting thing, if I remember correctly, there was only the one door that he actually had to go through. That he's just running the whole time, and then there's nothing actually. Not only is there no no people, uh, but there's no there's no doors. Uh, so that was interesting. And I also I this reminded me of a couple other things which I looked up, which happened to be around the same time frame. Uh, Logan's Run, if you guys watch that. So that was in 1976. Uh, So almost a decade after this, Um, then The Prisoner, the old uh, British TV series actually came out the same year, 1967. So I thought that was uh, interesting to compare to. Doug, you're the reason I
1: have seen The Prisoner. (laughs) I'm positive of it. Uh, That's a whole nother topic, that show. I mean, was it number two, right? And changes every week.
3: I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I don't remember. I, th- I think the whole reason I got into that was because of Lost, <laughs> yeah. that apparently it was inspired by The Prisoner.
2: Oh. Yeah, yeah. There, I, I guess it's this sort of concern about surveillance. That makes sense. And kind of, uh, you know, late st- 60s student revolution, sort of the changing of the generations. Right. You know, once, the, once you have this kind of dramatic change in... Um, in the generations, like the new generation, the boomers now have a voice. You can, uh, you know, things can be framed, society can be framed as being more authoritative than maybe it it actually is because you're like 18 years old and pissed at the world. So yeah, that makes sense.
1: Along with technology, the other thing again, movies being time capsules that I really enjoyed. You have all these state-of-the-art computers and technology. Meanwhile, it's the oldest mainframes that we could even envision, like the relics of computerized society. And this is supposed to be what they were using in the future. So I just thought that was uh, fun to look back at and see what they thought uh, the future would look like based on the machines that they were working with at that time. So. That's the first of the three short films we're going to be discussing today. I'm going to turn it over to Tom to go over Streets of Crocodiles. It's time
0: for question three.
2: What is the man in the beginning of the film looking at? He's looking through a, a glass, like a magnifying glass. And this is a flesh and blood man, the only flesh and blood character we have. What? is he looking at
0: locked
3: in locked in i don't know (laughs) i'm not sure exactly what he's looking at
2: oh no doug (laughs) i I have to you you locked in last so it's up to you buddy (laughs) you gotta make something up (laughs) make it disgusting that'd be interesting
3: um i don't know a human heart
2: (laughs) all right thank you uh kj i think you locked in second
0: yeah was it a wooden box A wooden box? Was it just a wooden box? He was looking into a wooden box. Can someone say wooden box? (laughs) It was a wooden
2: wooden, box. Wooden box. box. just a
1: wooden box. And Nick, what do you have? I don't know how specific I have to be, but I believe it was a map.
2: Oh, and Nick gets it. It was a map. He does look into a wooden box, but he's looking through the, the glass, the magnifying glass, at a portion of a map, at the street of crocodiles, so to speak.
0: It's time for... Question four.
2: What is it the dolls can control with a circular motion of their arms? Locked in.
0: Locked in? I do not know this one either. I feel like we should be locking in rhythmically. Locked in, locked in, locked
2: in. That would be appropriate, yes. All right, sorry, Doug. Uh, you have to come up with an answer. I guess you don't have to, but you won't get any points then. So take a random guess.
3: I don't know. <laughs> uh, the weather. <laughs> okay, control <laughs> the weather.
2: So that actually might be true. Uh, KJ, you locked in second.
0: I had the fluff. There's a lot of fluff in those scenes. They were moving a lot of fluff around, and I didn't know. I couldn't remember how they were moving it. So maybe when they twirled their hands, the fluff was moving around.
2: Okay, and Nick, what do you have?
0: Yeah, there were two things. Really, three, now that he mentioned the
1: fluff. Um, I'm going to go with threads. My second one, which will not get me points, was the screws unscrewing. But I'm going to go with threads.
2: All right. Um, I'll give Nick the credit, because it actually is the screws.
1: Oh, (laughs) okay. I'll take it. (laughs) I wasn't sure. I thought it it was one of the two.
2: It was at one towards the end. The the four of them line up and they start moving their arms like this, and we see the screws, which at the beginning of the uh, dive into the wooden esophagus on on the Street of Crocodiles, we see those screws kind of go into the ground. And at the end, the 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 puppets summon up the screws.
0: Usually, my answers that are a bunch of fluff take the points.
1: Or is that Tom? I don't know.
0: <laughs> All right. So
2: the reason why I brought these two questions to to our attention is the the interesting tension I think this film has, and it's it's part of my reading, and my reading is inspired um by a scholar, Suzanne Buchan, a, a British scholar who wrote two books on the quays. Um, but I'm interested in the, the comparison of the opening, which actually does feature a flesh and blood actor um, looking down into this world. And then what we get, which is a non-realistic or expressionistic depiction of um, inanimate objects sort of coming to life, even inanimate in terms of the the frame of the story, right? Like Things like screws, which have kind of the characteristic of like pets or something like that. And I'm interested in what people thought of that, the, the way kind of found objects, right? this, the set, the, the Madikens, um that, that they're filming, that the Quays are filming, it, it's kind of just filled with almost like garbage or junk that are, that's put together. And what people thought of that aesthetic conception of found objects as expressing something.
1: I'll just start off by saying I thought it looked awesome. I really thought it was just cool looking and different. I've seen a lot of, and I I believe this is stop motion animation is their style. So it gave me some Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas vibe to it. But of course, this was way before that film. It just I really like the style. I'm sure someone else can more eloquently explain the, you know, how everything played out. But I just wanted to express how cool I thought it looked.
0: It it felt like a pile of sewing equipment that wasn't being used, or when you go into somebody's workshop and they have that one jar or that one um, coffee tin of whatever's been left over from previous projects. But I was amazed at how lifelike things could look, and the one that really comes to mind is. There was a pile of not paper clips and a light bulb on top and it was very obvious that the light bulb was ahead and even though there was no eyes there was not you could tell where it was looking and what it was focused on. I was very impressed with how um, how lifelike the animation truly was It was also very dirty everything was pretty gross.
1: What well, was mechanical? So when you're dealing with that, you're dealing with grease and these were all leftover pieces and things that were discarded, not necessarily taken care of. So I think that was part of the vibe they were going for.
0: Oh, sure. But that's tough to do intentionally, I think. Very much so.
2: Yeah, it's it's this these found objects
0: that um
2: you know, it's almost the sense of um Anybody know like Duchamp or the, the kind of um, ready made movement, the artistic movement where people would take things they find, you know, like a bicycle wheel and a stool or something, and just jam them together, and you'd have these these things in exhibits. I actually could see them in the the in MoMA in New York. Uh, you know these ready made things, and they look like things from this. However, I think the the quays. What you had said that the things seemed covered in dust that that quality seems to be unique to them, that there's just this um, this kind of feeling of of the unused object. Um, and I wanted to read, uh, so this is based on a Bruno Schultz short story, uh, Street of Crocodiles. Uh, and it's a short story collection, but the, the title of the collection takes its name from a particular story. And th- there's a quote from this, and this quote is the, uh, the The father sort of explain uh, the father of a child explaining things to his son, um, and and he says, uh, "quote There is no dead matter. Lifeless is only a disguise behind which hides unknown forms of life. The range of these forms is infinite, and their shades and nuances limitless." End quote. Um, and I think th- that that's kind of what that story is about. Nothing actually happens. They just go into this this small district of. Uh, a city in Poland, I don't remember which one. And they called the street of crocodiles this kind of this street of dilapidated storefronts, sort of like where the, uh, the the main puppet character goes. And they just look around and they see the the discarded rubble. And the, the father, um, throughout the other short stories as well, is he's a recurring character in these stories. Just imagines life. Um, uh, jutting out of objects everywhere that there's sort of an inherent vitality to to everything in the world um and and the you know the philosopher the touchstone here is, is something like schopenhauer right where schopenhauer says that everything organic or inorganic has will right there's a will that wills it into life however the 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 object that has will that's going into the world is then kind of competing with other things to sustain its will, to sustain its its existence. And so there's a deep, deep pessimism in Schopenhauer because there's this kind of contention, this sort of Hobbesian contention at the center of, of this willing into existence of everything, everything in the world, you know, crap, dirt, discarded objects. Um, and I think that kind of pessimism as well as that vitality is in this picture, you know, adapted from the Schultz short story. And and that's what I find fascinating, is this idea of everything is there, everything is alive, and yet there's something really pessimistic about this film. I was wondering if other people had that, that kind of response.
1: A little on that point, I'm glad you brought up the word organic. We've been focusing on inorganic, inanimate objects, but there were some scenes where there was almost this flesh-and-blood organic-type substance inter, I don't know what the word is, weaved into the inanimate that really was quite shocking and abrupt when you saw it, because you weren't expecting that within this realm or this world of of simple machines and, and advancing mechanics. Do you know what that was about? I, I I just was generally curious. I think it may fit some of those themes you were just talking about, everything being thrown in together. But that that really kind of jumped out at me when I watched this.
2: Well, I have my reading, but I'll uh, I'll open it up to to what other people want to
0: say. The only thing I thought of really was, um, oh, is that some tuna sushi? Oh. Like it- <laughs> It kind of looked appetizing. Really? I think we watched a different
2: movie. <laughs> oh boy. That might have been some well, leftover I, discount. I kind of, oh yeah. my goodness. Oh god. Don't don't cook. And then for they kind of wrapped it up. <laughs> yeah, they do they do wrap it up. Yeah.
3: Not appetizing to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe <laughs> <funny.">
2: <laughs> yeah, I think what it is is that that idea again of um, which is drawn from from the short story. Um, and which I think is, is filled with this, which is that there is, um, that there's something that, that we can invest things with life and, and bring them into being, right? That we can go in. And this is a little different from the Schopenhauer reading, right? The, the Schopenhauer reading implies everything just has a a will, um, but the 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 reading that I think the quays take away, and I think that from from the Schultz story, and I think I'm referencing the Schultz story, nobody's read it. but I, I think the what the quays are doing is uh, sort of meta in the sense of they're going into this world and bringing life to these discarded objects. And so the discarded objects, the the um the puppets that don't have heads, Right. They're really creepy. They look like baby dolls with fluff in their heads and glowing eyes. They're sort of doing the same thing. They're enacting what the Quay brothers are doing. They're bringing, they're they're controlling or making life out of the inanimate. And what's interesting is, you know, that that seems to be like in a Tim Burton sense. It's like, yay, that would be fun and spectacular and beautiful. You know, we're, we're bringing life to the, to to puppets and making them live. And isn't this a, a great thing for kids or something? Um, but here, it's it's fascinating and I think deeply unsettling, right? I think the like the power to do that is kind of creepy. Um, and to look around at, you know, uh, like I, I, I live alone here. I go into my basement and look around at all the crap in my basement, and to think that that could be imbued with life and maybe that'll take my heart and, and and turn it into part of part of them is, is a deeply unsettling thing.
3: Yes. Yeah, so I, I felt there was this whole sense of foreboding, like from the beginning, that that one character who was also very creepy looking, but like that that first puppet. Like I, I kept feeling like he's about to walk into a trap or get tortured and dismembered, and like I think the dolls did kind of like mess with him, but then he like seemed to get put back together. So I don't know. I just kept thinking something very horrible and gruesome is going to happen to this guy.
2: Yeah, his head gets popped off. Right, they take his body, and he and he gets his head back. <laughs> uh, you know the the movie doesn't seem to be driving towards anything, right? There, there's there's a sort of sense of stasis about it. Um, unlike uh, unlike uh, Electric Labyrinth or, or THX 1138, I had to memorize so many numbers for that. Not the one with Robert
1: Duvall, the short. Yeah, 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 the short, like, you know,
2: I, I mean, unlike that, which has a sense of climax, right? We're living in the climax of a film with that with that short. Here we're, we're given a sense of just it, almost a sense of location, almost like one is a sense of plot, the other is a sense of setting, and ju- we're just living in this setting. And there's things that happen in the setting, there's actions we can see them, but it's more about the setting and the the energy that a setting has than uh, uh, about specific events within that setting, right? So it, it's almost as if returning to KJ's overarching question for our episode about what does the short do? I think one of the the nice things this short does in contrast to the other two is that it offers us time to spend with a setting without necessarily um, needing to escape via the plot or being dragged along by the plot. We can kind of meditate in this place.
0: Yeah, and and I agree, Tom. It It was nice to just kind of sit and watch. I think if you were to expand this into a feature length, I think Nick made a good comparison. You'd have to add music and a skeleton and an oogie boogie man. Well, the
2: Quays um, have made full-length films. They've
0: made two of them.
2: Um, the Institute Benyamin, Benyamita, which I, I watched this week, which starting Mark Rylance of all people. Uh, and then a, a movie, a wonderfully titled movie uh, called the piano tuner of earthquakes (laughs) um and i i I have to say like the the institute benjaminita is fascinating and beautiful to look at it what 90 minutes was kind of (laughs) long i was kind (laughs) of uh you know waiting waiting for it to 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 wrap up so i think they do work best in, in the short All right, at the end of our second film, we have KJ trailing with one, Doug and Nick Tide with two, and your sweet, sweet host right now, Tom, and the lead with four. See you soon, we'll be right back. Hi, Tom here. I just want to read a note from one of our sponsors. I run the hottest nightclub in the meatpacking district. For the last three hours, my club has been popping the most bottles, and with some luck, it may last another five or six. When you need to cater to young, rich New Yorkers, every detail needs to be perfect. The ropes need to be velvet. Bottle service needs to be bubbly. The bouncers need to be big. So the important question, how can I maintain the ambience needed to make it in the nightlife industry while obeying the city fire code? I can't keep it hot inside with unsightly fire alarms and ugly red extinguishers. That's why when I heard about camouflage, the fire extinguisher to match your lifestyle, I was all in. Camouflage provides your business or summer home with a fire extinguisher painted and shaped to be completely indistinguishable from your decor. Imagine sitting in your mountain retreat, protected by a fire extinguisher shaped and painted to look exactly like any other piece of wood on your log pile. Or come into my club. Camouflage has painted all my fire extinguishers black, and no one will be able to tell where they are. My club has never been hotter. Camouflage. Because fire safety doesn't have to be ugly.
1: And we're back. Doug, we're at that part of the episode where we ask our guests a critical question. If you could watch these short films with anyone, dead
3: or alive, who would it be? I'm going to say Quentin Tarantino. uh, Because... When you have a bunch of these weird short films that I'm not entirely sure how to interpret, it would be interesting to just hear somebody who I think would have probably the wackiest interpretations and would make would make them fun uh some of these I didn't enjoy so much, so I think somebody like that would make make them more enjoyable for me.
0: Which one of the three do you think he'd like the best or or have something interesting to say about?
3: Ooh, I would say. Street of Crocodiles, probably, I think, because there's, I don't know, because that's, to me, that that's the, the weirdest, of them.
0: Have Have you seen any other shorts? Is there a short you'd want to show Quentin Tarantino?
3: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think I's he's, he's seen every uh, every film and short probably known to man already. So I don't know. Nothing comes to mind.
0: If you could take one of his movies and see it as like a as a student project as a short kind of like thx 1138 which of uh of tarantino's movies would you like see in a in a condensed form
3: that's a tough one um
0: i you know i I really enjoyed hateful eight because of like the way it felt that that was that was actually
3: just what i was thinking
0: oh yeah cool
3: that's one with like a relatively simple premise that could be distilled into a shorter film. I was
1: thinking actually the end sequence of Django Unchained as its own little mini short when people are getting shot and being pushed in directions that physics do not permit. Oh,
2: Fiction is a basically a <laughs> chain of shorts, isn't it? It's like three or four short films bound mm. together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? He did the, that hotel right. one. with
2: Yeah, with... Uh, I forgot yeah, off. about that. Four run. Off as the... Bellboy. Yeah, that is a basically a collection of shorts with a unifying bellboy. <laughs>
0: so we have seen a Tarantino short. <laughs>
3: he just puts them all in one movie.
1: <laughs>
2: what, did no, he do? All? He, he just did, did. I think he did I one. Were... I think Robert Rodriguez yeah. did
0: one. No. Um, I'm not sure who else. It's time for question five. The second time we see the woman coming to work, what does she almost forget to do? Locked in locked in
1: locked in she almost forgot to punch in her time card
2: punch in her time card yeah i had that i had the same thing punch in your time card
0: points for everybody <laughs> yes. right. yeah so what what i liked about this um short film is it it, it you know portrays a, a security job which i've never done but tom maybe you can chime in here I, I did
2: I did overnight I did midnight to eight in the morning in low-income
0: housing in New York for about a year
2: so, and I'd imagine at
0: least a few of those nights were uh slow boring
2: yeah the, every, I mean every night has got stretches of boring followed by horrible um so you know <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah it's it's a yeah it was it's not a crowning achievement in my life but um I, yeah there's there's kind of a
3: it's a yeah, living <laughs>
2: exactly it's it's a it's a very boring
0: job, but what I liked about that small scene where she almost forgets to clock in she's excited to come to this job because she's going to do something that she enjoys while there, even though it's not really what she's supposed to be doing but that that small um you know, the way she was walking and bristly moving, I really liked how it was showing that she was getting more excited about this very gray and boring job.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but at that point, we don't know why she's getting more excited. Wow. She does one little maneuver, but we don't know that this is becoming a trend where they're like one-upping each other or really
0: putting on a show for the camera. When does does this happen?
2: Is this the first punch-in or the second?
0: It's the second, because the first one Mm -hmm. we see her get dressed, it's her first day, presumably. Maybe not her first day, but it's, you know, it's they're the first time yes. we see her, how she works, yes.
2: but she is. So then she is excited because she set it up, right? She left him a note.
0: He, he starts, starts. He, he oh, didn't no, really start. He, I mean,
2: he just was dancing, yeah. but she has left him the note. Right. So it makes sense for her to be excited because it's like, yeah, you know, it's it, it's it, a payoff. Yeah. Yeah. The,
1: the, the answer. She was excited to see his yeah. reaction. Mm-hmm.
0: But I, I guess the, one of the, I hate to say this, but one of the the most boring jobs actually that we've all had on here was at a cleaners, right? Nothing. Oh, Tom wasn't there. No. Oh, you have the real security job. The, mm. the other three of us, we used when we were in high school, we worked at a cleaners and there'd be days with zero customers. So you would sit there all day and, you know, we didn't have phones back then. I don't, I don't know what we did, but um they were boring. And I remember one day, one of our friends, he started folding the bags that the clothes went into, into, um, he would do it into thirds, and then in half. And then I started to get excited to do that, because the bags were such a mess. And when they were done, they looked so nice and neat. So her like forgetting the clock in kind of reminded me of the small things that these jobs that just don't offer too much. um, I really liked it.
2: Yeah, it's what shines through the kind of mediocre existence, right? You know, that everything is that's what's nice. You know, the job sort of stands in for day-to-day life. And, you know, romance, which is what the, the dancing center stands in for, kind of shoots through the, the 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 mediocrity. I mean it's like a it's like a hot coal in a bag, right? Um, you know, and, and it's it's great to to you know get to that coal, so to speak.
1: Did any of you have a legitimate concern? in the sequence where there was no note and he kind of walked by and just gave her this look and i was like oh their fun's over but then i realized later when we see the new person being hired that maybe they've moved on from this they've you know outgrown this environment together but i was generally concerned for their pseudo relationship
2: yeah
3: the guy is hired to new people yeah so there's no so he doesn't leave a note on the computer but i think he leaves a note on the outside of the window Um, which she looks at, but you don't, but we don't see what is actually on there.
1: Quit your job and let's go (laughs) dancing somewhere else.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Or dance here. (laughs) Let's quit the job.
1: job. (laughs) I mean, I'm jumping right to it. I mean, let's get right to the end here, right? The new person gets hired and they're looking at a random part of the security camera, which means they probably were at some point dancing a lot together to just be at a random point? Or what is up with that? Because those time codes are all the same. Yeah, time. it's
2: really interesting. Because it starts at, at two o'clock, right? That's what he enters. And then we see them dancing until roughly 3.30. Um, but if you look at, there's like a, a range of cameras, right? We see different different cameras everywhere. And like Nick, you pointed out, the time code is the same everywhere. And it's the same date. It's, it's I'm not gonna say the date because maybe that's a question. Um, but uh, it, you know, it's the same. It's the same time, the same date, and so we have this kind of monotonous thing going on, broken up by this this flirtatious dancing. And in the end, it, it drops the the realism. The end becomes this kind of lovely little pseudo theatrical, pseudo expressionistic moment where they can dance everywhere at the same time, right? They they their enthusiasm for one another, their enthusiasm for the dance populates this otherwise utterly dull and, and dry place. Now they are everywhere at the same time in enlivening it. And it's it's really lovely.
1: The one thing I really enjoyed at the end was when the new hire goes, Whoa, but I can't oh, dance. Wait, wait,
2: wait, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wins. <laughs>
0: I think I win, right? <laughs> did anybody not know that? No, we, I knew that. Yeah.
3: Doug, did you know that? Yes, I was <laughs> I was gonna bring that bring that up as a point of topic.
0: <laughs> so points for everybody. Yeah, and then, so how do you end something like this, right? When I remembered this, you know, I'd watched this years ago, when I remembered it, I thought there was a lot more dancing, but a lot of the dancing is just in that last part that Tom was just talking about. And then it comes back to reality and then they have to end the short somehow, right? And they ended on this light fluffy kind of joke that, you know, it doesn't make any sense really. Like who would say that? In real? I don't know. Maybe you'd say that to your new boss, but, um, but yeah, I really like the, the note it ended on too.
2: Yeah. What really cuts it off before then is they have a music and it's, it's a kind of Spanish guitar music uh, that's playing for them to dance over. And then what actually cuts it off isn't, isn't that, that line um, but right before that, they're in the elevator. The last dance sequence we see is in the elevator. The music stops, and then we can—they stop, and then we hear at the same time the sound of the elevator moving, the, the mechanics of it. Um, and so the sound, and then the kind of return to life, because the two of them then stop dancing and wait for the elevator to open. That's what what brings us back. And we are, are then then we cut to the two of them, the new guard and and the boss. Who are looking in on this fantasy world um, without comprehension, right? But I can't dance means like, well, I can't do this job, which is a complete misunderstanding (laughs) of what he just, you know, what he just witnessed.
1: Yeah, this was actually like I enjoyed it. I didn't expect, I didn't know where it was going at first at all. And even the ending, you see them leave the elevator together, they stop dancing, they've moved on from this job and they've moved on from that. And who knows if they're dancing somewhere else. But I thought it was pretty cool, even though the ending, as Tom mentioned, goes more to the fantastical. Before that, we were clearly in the real-world reality. They clearly can't be dancing everywhere at the same time. But I guess mentally, they're dancing together everywhere.
2: Or it's just happening. It's magic. Magic happens.
0: Or they just you know put the film together and didn't really look at the time codes even though that was the title <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure that was think the no yeah I'm it's pretty the sure title of purpose. the movie yeah, a, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah that's they that's want you to look that's at it you know? and be like wait they can't be everywhere at the same time <laughs> <I didn't notice>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. oh, really
1: that i thought that was like the critical element of that, the whole that
2: movie. for me too yeah i had the same huh. reaction nick i had i was like oh wow that's
3: I'm going to have to look at it again. I, <laughs> I didn't, up. I didn't pick that up. I thought, Oh, yeah. oh,
2: wow. That's what they're doing. That's what, what holds this together.
0: I thought they were just showing it was months of work and training that they eventually synchronized and did all these things. It's kind of.
1: I think if you rewatch that sequence and we had this conversation again, you'd have a different opinion of that short. I'll have to check it out. That's really interesting how Tom and I saw that detail. And that's like the pivotal moment of the whole movie, and you guys are like, "Oh yeah, I just thought they like to the dance a lot."
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, but it's all, I mean, you don't. Yeah, but you could also. It's incredibly sweet. It's it's like this little delicate movie, and even if you miss the the timecode reference, it's still. <sighs> god it's just so it's so kind of cute and quaint and and loving you know it it really treats these characters with with a great deal of care um and that last sequence is is kind of gorgeous i mean it's two people dancing in a garage over a security a security camera yeah Yeah, and we don't know i mean we we really don't know very much about we know nothing Mm -hmm. about them
1: I do think that the fact that this movie was called time code had me really laser focused on the time codes. And especially since all the sticky notes are times. So.
2: But it, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's, it's really sweet. I, I, you know, I was, um, yeah, it was kind of, I was, uh, a little embarrassed about this, but I was tearing up a little bit when, when I first watched it and, and the music's playing and they, they, you know, get to have this, this, this time
0: together. Um,
1: Your adjectives of sweet and delicate are appropriate for this meal. I feel the same way.
0: So after our contest, we have a tie. So I trail with one. Doug has four points. And Nick and Tom have six. Um, For those doing the math at home, stop. But trust me, they have six. Good (laughs) luck. So I guess it falls on Doug to come up with a bonus question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe me, because I'm dead last. It's time for a bonus question. What is the only scene we see a crocodile in Street of Crocodiles? <laughs> Locked in.
1: Locked in.
2: Um, when we're in that in the world, when we go through the wooden esophagus, there is in that kind of. Um, uh, oh no, it's it's before that. It's in the theater before we go into the wooden esophagus, there's a a crocodile over the proscenium.
1: Okay, if that's correct, I'm amazed because that was just gonna be my guess that it was in the theater before we get into the whole zoomed in action.
0: I didn't notice that crocodile, but there's a (laughs) crocodile over the street when there's the kid playing with the light and then he shines it on the guy's face
2: yeah there's only one crocodile, and that's it I, I couldn't remember exactly
1: mine was where a it guess, was. Yeah. which apparently was Tom's same guess. It's time for a
0: bonus question.
3: So this is for time code. So what is the incident uh that Luna had to look into specifically um, the specific incident that she had to look into that kind of started off the whole events all the events of the film? Locked
0: in. locked in locked in the original dancer kicked one of the brake lights or maybe the blinker i guess it was kind of an orange looking thing um and the customer complained so she was going back to the footage to make sure the car was okay
1: yes an orange light uh some kind of like light was kicked off the back of a vehicle
2: yes she uh, he kicked off the left what I think was the blinker light in space three Oh four seven at
0: 1130 (laughs) overachiever. (laughs) It's time for a bonus question. We're going to, we're going back to THX one, one, three, eight. Okay. What is the only sound in the short film that is not distorted? Oh, according to me.
2: Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm locked in
1: locked in. I'm going to say the line at the end where the authorities expressed that THX one, one, three, eight destroyed themselves at four
0: fifty two
2: thirty nine. I had the exact same thing that, uh, that, that you hear that clearly. Ah,
0: that might also be true. So you either both <laughs> get it or form. don't, right? It's a bonus question, but they, at one point it's kind of obvious that he's going to make it and they start playing the organ. And that organ is crystal clear as if it's not coming oh. through the sound system that all these other distorted things were coming through. I-, I thought it was a pretty cool moment. It's time for a bonus question. Okay, we're going back to Streets of the Crocodile. In the short film, we see two times that the film is in reverse. So in other words, the there's two objects that must have been filmed and then we're watching it in reverse. Oh, I got them. Locked in.
1: Locked in. All right. I think
3: I got one. All right, Doug. What do you got? Uh Dandelion.
0: Yes. Um,
3: a, yep. Coming apart, I guess. Yep, yep. Or
1: going together. Sure. Nick? What I thought when I saw the movie, I thought it was the screws.
0: <sighs> I guess technically, uh I that's think that's I think those were stop motion, so they could have been going either way. Yeah. Right, they could have been screwing them in, or okay. they could have been that, that, them when like, I jumped, is, when no. I saw
1: this movie, yeah. that's what I thought that they that was filmed in yep.
0: first. Like I don't, I don't think screws have a direction. If we want to get technical, right, you can screw and you can unscrew. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, KJ. <laughs> yeah. personally, I prefer the unscrew. Um, <laughs> 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 um what you-
2: I, I had the dandelion seeds. Um, I also had the string towards the beginning and the end, which ravels back Ooh, up. Oh, I forgot about the string.
0: There's also an ice cube.
2: Oh, the ice cube. Yep, that's a good point. So the points
0: to Tom and Doug. I get Doug's points on this one to keep our uh, system consistent, but Tom wins the episode. Ah, oh, finally. No <laughs> you know what, at this point,
1: <laughs> I'm happy. <Yeah>. Somebody won.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it's time for movie rent
2: yeah so it was, i was interested in the question you were you're putting forward and i wrote a, a bit i wrote a you know short little piece on kind of w- what a short is or what it does and i was kind of you know interested in in this so the, the connection i made was um between kind of short films and short stories, which has their kind of uh, their kind of connection in folklore, a lot of them. If you think of like the Indian epics, right, like the Mahabharata, it's really feels kind of like a collection of shorts. Or even earlier books, um, the Decameron, or or before that, even the Canterbury Tales, are you know these kind of collection of shorts. And much like the Mahabharata, a, a lot of this stuff, I think, comes out of the the oral tradition where people would be able to uh, recite these kind of incredibly long epics, but the epics themselves are kind of uh, made up of like little short stories that you can chain together. You know, in the Canterbury Tales, there's an organizing principle, they're going to see um, uh, 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 St. Thomas, you know, they're going on pilgrimage. Um, The Decameron, they're like uh, out of the city to avoid the plague, you know, et cetera. But, um, But it seems like the Need for kind of these the short comeback stories tied together with these organizing principles is is the limits of memory, right? And so the, this kind of oral tradition, which manifests in the, these short stories, seems to be based upon a, a kind of you almost think of it as like a, a technological limitation, which is how you know how much can you memorize, right? And and those kind of techniques, and you you know this this idea, even when we get to print, kind of. Um, takes over print, right? The picaresque novel of something like Thomas of Tom Jones does the same thing where it's like the hero just wanders from place to place and stuff happens, right? It almost has a kind of short fiction idea, even though there's more more loops tying things together in Tom Jones, but you don't really have like an organized novel in the way we think of it, an organized longer fiction um, that isn't lyric until maybe later in the 18th century. And it seems like short films are also responding in their initial conception, like the, the Lumiere brothers or uh, uh, what's his name from Hugo? Um,
1: Millier, Millier, yes.
2: Millier, yeah. So Millier and of course Edison, um, their films, their kind of Nickelodeon style films are also that, that response to technological limitations. You have One reeler, which is in, in silent films about 12 minutes. Um, and, and it's odd because I think like that that oral tradition, which I think is somewhat based upon limitation and how do we transcend limitation that that starts to come in with, with films and the initial films, which are all short films, because we're kind of limited by, you know, how much, how long can we crank the damn camera and, you know, and all that stuff. And the belief that people also wouldn't, wouldn't sit through this. Um, And it seems like the, the short films we see um, are, even though they're, they're not, Limited by technology to this, even though they're limited probably by budget, uh, they feel to me almost like um, almost like folklore or allegory, which is you know usually what we see with kind of short films, either cute, quaint um, little things we could take away. Uh, Streets of Crocodiles is maybe a little different there, but it, it does feel like something like an older form like a, a kind of story through the ages type thing, and that the, the little updates, be it like uh, um, through security footage in time code or uh, technological um, technological authoritarianism in uh, THX1138, that those are kind of modern folk tales almost, more than, you know, more than just strictly
0: modern stories. So yeah, I, I agree these do feel like modern folktales. Um it, they don't necessarily have a moral, like I guess you kind of expect from some folktales, but they pack one punch. They're a one note, um, they're a one note story. And I I I see where you're coming with the quote unquote technological limitations of memory from back in the day, but I feel like there's also a lot of jokes about people telling stories that are too long. So I wonder if it isn't what they could memorize, but it's what the audience would put up with.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it, it depends because people would be able to tell. Like you think of the the Mahabharata, right? Has anybody read that or looked at that? So it's the great Indian epic. It's about eight times longer than the Bible. <laughs> so pe- people tolerated length. Well, but you know what in I mean? bites, um,
0: I can't imagine a priest reciting the entire Mahabharata, but I can imagine them picking the stories they want to tell for today to express whatever point they're trying to make. So that would be another reason these epics were organized into the short stories, whereas, you know, the an easy, longer story that is that feels good to consume would be something like Lord of the Rings, which is certainly not a bunch of short stories. Right. It is one long epic. If you didn't decide when you were going to consume it like you do with a book or even a movie, I think it might be a little too frustrating to have to go find the guy reciting it to either catch up or if you need a break, you can't do that.
1: So you guys are, are jumping into something I wanted to discuss when I was talking about the difference between a short story, excuse me, a short film and a movie. And I wanted to compare it to another media, which you guys are already starting to compare it to, which is the written word, text. So a lot of times we look at feature films and short films, just as people look at novels and short stories. And while it may be more of a technical feat to create, and there might be more resources that are needed to create a feature length film or even write a a much larger novel, I would say it's actually more challenging to share a story within a shorter sequence, whether it is a short film, or a short story because you have to, you only have a certain amount of time or pages or words to put, to portray the message and the story you want to portray whereas when you have a feature length film you can show more versus making people infer or understand what you want to do so i actually think even though in modern times we still gravitate towards feature films. Look at what we do here. There actually is a lot of nuance that can go to short films because they have that one punch and they need to make that punch really land. So you guys were dancing around it, comparing it to different texts. I wanted to make sure my thoughts about that really came through because the limitations actually sparks more creativity because you have less to work on.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Limitation as a spark to creativity is true in, um, in this medium, kind of in any medium, right? You think of the, the competition between Cornier and Racine in the French neoclassical school, right? You had Corneille who was a little not obeying the rules and Racine always obeyed the rules. And yet you, you get great art from both. And Racine being, being restricted kind of made his work better, you know, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, and I, I you know, the, the disciplining aspect of the short film, which I think nowadays is probably, the limit is probably more budgetary than anything, right? You're a young filmmaker, you're putting together a few thousand dollars to get this thing out. I mean, for Lucas, it was literally a student film, right, out of USC that he was doing this. Um, and so it becomes, it's this interesting thing that it, it's like, this thing that I feel comes from sort of the folklore tradition is now... Part of the marketing tradition, right? This is your this is your resume that you can you know uh, put out there in the world to make a longer film. And so, in some way, uh, what what's kind of nice about the Quay Brothers then is that their career, for the most part, is based upon short films. While well, you see with like with like Lucas and with the director of Timecode. That this feels more like, uh, even though I think it's it's beautiful, it's also kind of utilizable, right? Almost like a resume picture.
1: Well, when we talk about THX 1138, there's a direct correlation to what you're saying. He had a bigger story, but he had a student short film budget to make it. And then what was his first film? It was the feature length THX 1138. That was the, uh, the, the full story he wanted to show. Maybe it got mixed reviews and audiences. I remember when I did watch it, I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I don't know if I watched it again if I'd have that same opinion, but that's exactly what brought the momentum to further his career. But let's be quite honest, it's hard to make a career as a director just doing short films, right? Most of the things that we know in the mainstream, at least, mainstream, I'm not talking about independent, is the feature length films that used to be shown at movie theaters when they were open. (laughs) I'm pretty sure if you went to a mass audience and said, hey, we're gonna look at short films, mass audience probably is thinking animated. At least I was, 3D animated. That's the first thing in modern times that I think of. And I know that's just a small subset of what's out there. I just don't know a lot about the short film scene. And that's why I really did enjoy this episode because we explored things that just were off my radar. And it probably would be worth us doing again uh, at some point with a new set of uh, short films?
0: My wife and I uh, always watch the nominees, the live action and the animated short films. And it's something I look forward to every year because. After each one, you turn to each other and either smile or maybe you're crying or, or whatever it is, but you get to experience these smaller things and you get to say, oh, that was my favorite. Oh wait, no, no, that was my favorite. So you get to have that, that diner conversation after a feature length film in smaller bites. And, and I just I really enjoy doing that, um, particularly with my wife. It was also nice because I could watch these short films while I was having my lunch break
1: and see one full thing instead of having to split a movie throughout the week. So I enjoyed that element immensely.
2: Yeah, I'd say for me, it feels it feels very much like a like a, almost like an oral tradition. I feel like I'm in a, a different tradition when when watching um, short films. And I used to go to the IFC Theater in in the West Village in New York to see the the nominees. I used to do the same thing you did, KJ. Just um, you know, when I lived in in New York. You, 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 you know, back when things were open and New York was a place people would want to go to. Um, you know, that's that's where I would go to to see them. And it's the same kind of thing. It felt like I was there watching a collection of storytellers kind of peddle their wares, which in a, a kind of sense, that's what's going on.
1: <laughs> After a grueling competition, I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, which is Tom in mega bonus question round. Well done.
3: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah,
1: On another note, check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews, as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What's your favorite short film and why? Thanks again, Doug, for joining us today.
3: Where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Ewan. Uh,
2: You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at KJ10001000. I can also
1: be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time we discuss Nick's, which is my recommendation, the soon-to-be-released on Amazon Prime coming the number two, America. This will be a first watch for us all as it only comes out on March 5th, so why not join in on the fun? It'll be our quickest episode turnaround to date, so I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Should be fun. Talk to you then.
3: Ding, 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 ding.
0: Okay, we're going back to Streets of the Crocodile. Mm -hmm. In Street, it's just Street of Crocodiles. Mm -hmm. I I really wish it was plural. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. We're going back to the Street of the Crocodiles. Of Crocodiles. <laughs> of the, <Joan> of Crocodiles. <laughs> the Passion of the Joan of the Ark. <laughs> the Passion of Joan or Ark. All right. We're going back to Street of the Crocodiles. <laughs> Maybe they did, but I can't imagine a priest standing up there reciting the entire uh Margarata, how do you say it? Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. Uh, reciting the entire... Uh, can, can we just write it down? Do you have it written down anywhere? I, I don't
2: uh, Oh, it might be in the in the notes.
0: The entire text. Um, <laughs> <just> <laughs> say, say it one more time. Mahabharata.
2: Okay.
0: I, I can't imagine a priest reciting the entire Mahabharata. However, he c- would pick and choose the short stories from the Mahabharata
1: from the text from this the is text. why we got to
0: cut it <laughs> i said it right it's just it was a weird in the mahabharata it was really new jersey hey, the mahabharata
1: over here
2: <laughs> kj you left your mahabharata in the kitchen
0: anybody have any fresh mahabharata
3: i'm making a sauce <laughs>